morning to Paradise Valley Christian Church. We are glad that each and every one of you are here. Uh, I was a little tired this morning. Uh, we've had a busy couple weeks. We were able to, uh, on the 30th of August, head to Montana, visit my parents, and they got to see our new baby, Berkeley, and that was a lot of fun. We had a good time there. Came back, and we were able to experience the Lander Family Camp, and I would say we had a good time up there, and so I would encourage any of you that uh, would like to be a part of that next year uh, to kind of make plans for that now. It happens over the Labor Day weekend, and it's a great time for you to go up in the Wind River Mountains and with your family, spend time in God's Word. Uh, we got to hear from Ryan Charest as he shared and uh, banned from Summit Christian College. And uh, just uh, it went really well. And I was praising God for that opportunity. And because we were at family camp, obviously we weren't here. And so I appreciate Bradley Erickson taking the time to uh, share from God's Word last week uh, as uh, he filled in for me. And so then from uh, the family camp, we came home right before the big snowstorm that all of you got to experience uh, this past week. And uh, this past weekend, or before that, we were able to still have our Wednesday night family night that kicked off. Great time of food and great time of fellowship. Classes for all ages was just a lot of fun and got to see a lot of people here, part of that. And so we're praising God for the different uh, classes that took place. Uh, the Embrace Grace that got kicked off, the Embrace Life, as well as our, our nursery, like I said, children's, junior high and high school, adult classes. Uh, it was a great evening. And so if that's something that interests you, we'd love for you to be a part of that on Wednesday nights this coming semester. And then uh, this past weekend, my family and I went to Scotts Bluff Gearing, and we were there for the Summit Christian College Praise Banquet. Summit is one of the missions that we support on a regular basis, and so we were there for the Praise Banquet, got to hear some good things going on at the college. Uh, that got over about 9 o'clock last night, so we drove back, and I got in around midnight, 12.15, unloaded 13 people out of my van, put all the stuff away, and uh, we got to bed, and then Berkeley woke us up halfway through the night. So, uh, you know, sometimes in life, things can get tiring, and I know that some of you here this morning are, can be tired, but what a joy it is to come together and see one another and to be in the house of the Lord and to praise Him and to acknowledge his greatness in our lives. And I can't, I can't believe that it's already been over a year that we've uh, since moved here to Casper. And uh, there's been a lot of neat things that we've seen take place. And uh, one of the things that uh, I am continuing to think about and pray through and, and, and working on in my own life is kind of the mission of what we're trying to accomplish as a church. And so this morning, uh, I want to remind myself, but also remind you kind of what our mission statement is. And, and we're going to be looking at this concept over the next four weeks as we think about the idea of seek, reconcile, restore, and equip. And so we're going to begin, like I said, a four-week sermon series. In the middle of that, or towards the end of that, there's going to be a revival week in there, and we'll make sure to communicate that at the end of the service uh, when that's going to take place. But this morning, I want to look at this idea of seek. Seek. And, and it begins with this, this idea of realizing that there are people out there that need Jesus. And so this morning's title of the message is Seeing the Harvest. Will you pray with me as we begin? God, this morning, what a privilege and honor it is to come together as the body of Christ. And as I look around this room, I see people 
that have dedicated their lives to living for you. Father, I, I don't know each and every one uh, on a different personal level, but God, as we continue to grow in our relationship with you, I pray that we continue to grow in our relationship with one another, that we build one another up, that we encourage one another, and as we come together, that you would be the one that receives all honor, glory, and praise. Speak this morning to us. May our hearts and our minds be open. It's the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. To seek. What, what does that look like? And what, what's the reason behind it? The Barna Research Group has been involved in gathering and analyzing information concerning the church since 1984. And many of their findings are startling and eye-opening. They have found that 33% of Americans are unchurched. They have no church affiliation whatsoever. And while it found that 20% of those who have church membership believe that living a good life is enough to gain them a place in heaven. And so giving those two statistics according to God's word, that tells us that 53% of Americans are lost and on their way to hell. And over half of everyone you run into statistically may be lost. And it's a growing population. And more and more each year are added to this category. And if we were to throw all the false professors that show up to a church service that are thrown in the mix there, we'd probably be near about 75% which is the percentage that Jesus referred to in the parable of the soils. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew, the harvest is truly plentiful. There are people to reach. There, there's a work to be, got, to be done. There's, there's a reality that we need to be seeking the lost. And the danger of the church of 2020 is that we don't see this as an important work. In fact, it oftentimes takes a back seat to so many other things that go on in the church. And yet reaching the lost should be primary as we share the word of God with people. And Jesus finds himself in a similar situation. And I always find it interesting to hear what Jesus has to say on different topics. Because of course we know that when it comes from Jesus, it's absolute truth. And so concerning this idea of harvest, there are four lines of thought that seem apparent from the text that we're going to look at this morning. And that's from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 down through 38. If you want to turn over in your Bibles this morning, a digital device or paper Bibles, turn over to Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. I'll be reading from the New International Version, and it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. If we're going to seek this morning, I pray that we realize what's taking place in these verses. And it, the first thing, if you're taking notes this morning, that, we, that I'd like you to see is that we need to see the pity in the harvest. As Jesus looked out amongst the crowds, 
he saw the people. He did not just focus on his own disciples or just his inner circle, but he looked out and he saw the multitude, and he was moved with compassion. The word compassion or pity means to to be moved to love, mercy, and pity. In other words, he did not just see them and, and just saw their need, but he knew that he needed to help them. He knew that they, they fainted and were scattered abroad just like sheep without a shepherd. And he saw that they would soon run out of pasture and starve and that they would get lost and ca- get caught up in a thicket and die. And in the meantime, they were helpless, it says. The, you see, the pleasures of this life for people are going to run out. The good times are going to run out. The the self-sufficiency will run out. Their health will fail. Death is inevitable. And judgment is sure. And so do we see people the way Jesus saw them? Do we look out into the crowds and see people with a heart for them, to, to have compassion on them? And if we don't, we better start. When we go to an amusement park, and there's people all around. Do we see people in the way that Jesus would see them? That they're lost if they don't know Jesus. If you've been to Disney World or land, or if you've been to a sporting event that has thousands of people at it, do you go there and you just, just do you, do, does the crowd just get lost around you? Or do you think about the fact that, man, probably half of these people don't know Jesus? What about if you just go to Walmart? I know, I know for me, when I go to Walmart, I'm on a mission. You know, I got my texts from my wife of what I'm supposed to be getting, and I take my little, you know, you can mark stuff off with red on these fancy phones, and I cross my list off, and I'm going and calling my wife ten times to figure out if I'm getting the right stuff or not. But all the while, I'm on a mission, and I just kind of, do I let the people just pass by me? Or do I think about the fact that some of them are probably lost? And on their way to hell. And do I have compassion for them? Do I care about them? D.L. Moody told the story of a part of his conversion journey this way. He says, when I was in Boston, I used to attend a Sunday school class. And one day, I remember my teacher came around behind the counter of the shop I was working at. And he put his hand on my shoulder. And he talked to me about Christ and my soul. I had not felt that I had a soul till then. I said to myself, this is a very strange thing. Here is a man who never saw me till lately, and he's weeping over my sins. I've never shed a tear about them. But I understand it now. And know what it is to have a passion for men's souls. And weep over their sins. I don't remember what he said, but I can still feel the power of that man's hand on my shoulder that night. The concern and tears of a godly teacher resulted in the conversion of a man who saw a million souls touched in evangelistic campaigns. And so the question for us this morning is, when was the last time you wept? Over the sins and the lost state of a family member, a friend, a co-worker, a random stranger. Do we pity them? Do we feel compassion for them? 
That is our need. We need to feel compassion because of their need for Jesus Christ in their life. See, Jesus, Jesus saw the multitude and was moved with compassion. When was the last time that your heart broke for someone you knew that didn't know Jesus? See, we need to have pity for the harvest. And may we see the potential of the harvest as well. Jesus says that the harvest is truly plenteous. Jesus saw the potential. Jesus did not focus on the the hopelessness of the situation. There's so many out there, but he focused on the hope. Jesus did not pity and then do nothing. He said, get the sickle and harvest them. Jesus did not see them as always being in the situation that they were in, but he saw them being transformed into a different sphere. He he saw the potential. He, He saw the lost being saved. He saw sinners becoming saints. He saw the guilty being set free. And he saw the unforgiven being forgiven. He saw the hell deserving getting grace. And instead of moaning and groaning about the bad state of affairs, he magnified the expectancy and hopefulness that is anticipated in the harvest. In his book, Being an Extraordinary Person in an Ordinary World, Reverend Robert H. Schuler tells the story behind a seed he received one day from Ashley Mueller. If you're joining us online, I'm going to ask that we go to a widescreen so I can walk around here a little bit. But it's a story of a farmer in Pleasant Plains, Ohio. For years, said Reverend Schuler, I've been teaching the principle. Any fool can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the apples in one seed. Well, Ainsley Mueller had been listening to this principle, and he sent this letter with a soybean seed. He wrote, It was 1977, Dr. Schuler, and I lost half my crop. It was a bad, bad year. It was so wet, and I couldn't get half of it harvested, and it it didn't develop. So at the end of the year in October, I would walk through the fields and try to pick up a bushel here and a, a piece there. Then I saw standing by itself a most extraordinary, unusual looking soybean stalk. I was shocked by the size of its good looks. I went and carefully picked off the pods, and as I opened the pod, there was, there was 202 pods, and as I opened them and counted, I counted out 503 soybeans. I took them home, and, and I kept them in a pan all winter, and they dried out, and the next spring, they, were, they just seemed special to me. In 1978, I took those 503 soybeans and I planted them in a little plot behind my house. And when October came, I harvested 32 pounds, 32 pounds from 503 soybeans. And in 1978, or excuse me, he, he writes, I dried them out in the winter and in 1979, I took those 32 pounds and I planted them on one acre. And when October came, I harvested. I harvested. 
I had 2,409 pounds, and I planted them on 60 acres, which was all the land I had available. And in October, just a year ago, I harvested 2,100 bushels and cashed it out for $15,000. Now, Dr. Schuler, one plant, four years later, $15,000, not too bad, is it? So, Dr. Schuler, here's your bean. And just as there is great potential in one seed, there's also great potential in the lives of the men and women that you come in contact with every single day. All too often we write these people off. But just as we have given, been given an opportunity, we need to extend that opportunity to someone else. And a lot of times we all too often focus on how bad or our world is getting or how bad this individual might be or there's no possible way that they're going to be able to come to Jesus and, and we don't take the time to see the potential in the world that we live in. But where there's a lost soul and where grace still reigns supreme, there is hope and there is potential in the people all around us. Amen? I, I remember my own growing up years I'm sure there's many times where people that knew me growing up had written me off. In fact, uh, there, there were several times growing up, especially in my junior high years, uh, I got kicked out of Sunday school class. Like several weeks in a row, my brother and I, he's two years older, we would get kicked out of Sunday school. And so my parents, uh, they disciplined us, they would spank us, but it wasn't working too well as junior high and high school student. And, and so my dad said, all right, if you can keep from getting kicked out of Sunday school for the next four months, at the end of four months, we'll give you 20 bucks. I was like, that sounds like a pretty good idea. I, I'm, I'm liking this. And so sure enough, my brother and I, we, we pulled it together, and we didn't, kicked out, we didn't get kicked out of Sunday school for four months in a row. And my parents held true to their word and, and gave us both 20 bucks. And in that time frame of my life, it really uh, gave me a perspective on the fact that this was something important to my parents to the point where they were willing to give me 20 bucks. They, they knew that me being in class was something that I needed in my life. Even though I was a little rowdy and, and maybe some people thought that I was never going to amount to anything, people saw still potential in me. And no matter how good or how bad the people all around us are, there is potential. Let's not let the past seasons of fruitlessness cause us to not see the hope in this harvest. What a harvest it is. Over half of America, over half of Natrona County most likely is available to harvest for Jesus. What an opportunity. May we see the potential. May we see the problem of the harvest. See, the problem of the lack of harvest is not the harvest itself. In fact, here in these verses, it says the harvest is plentiful. And the fact that the problem, the problem of the lack of harvest is obviously not in God because God still saves. The problem is, according to these verses, 
in verse 37, the workers are few. There's few workers. There's few laborers. The, the problem is that, there's, is that not enough Christians are willing to realize and to step out and get involved in gathering the harvest. The play on words is obvious. There's this plenteous or large versus few or small. And do you know why the reapers are few? Because it involves labor. It takes work. It takes effort. Jesus does not say that witnesses are few, but he says that laborers are few. When you're trying to win someone to Jesus Christ, when you're trying to share your faith with someone, it's not easy at times. It's difficult. There's going to be a need for you to roll up your sleeves and to, to sweat a little and to get a little dirty. And few are willing to do that. But I'm convinced that the only thing that's going to keep you as a Christian excited about being a Christian for the long haul is seeing other people's lives change. That's what we talked about at family camp, being a disciple that makes other disciples. And you've heard that many times here at PV before. If we're going to stay faithful, we, we need to continue to share. And it's not surprising that we need to continue to share and to seek because it's our call. It's part of our genetic code as Christians. And we see that even in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And when you don't live up to your call, your genetic code, you're never really going to be satisfied. The things of this life are never really going to fill you up. Even coming on Sunday morning, it's not going to be enough. It's going to take you willing to step out and reap the harvest. You see, the problem with the harvest is, is not that it's plentiful, because it's very plentiful, but that there's wor the workers are few. And all too often, we like to do things where we try to attract people. We try to attract the lost to us, which at times does have an impact and in some degree, it serves the purpose. But have you ever planted a garden, and as the garden has been planted, and they begin to grow, all of a sudden, one morning, you wake up, and all the beans have just jumped off the vine and have gathered on your front porch? Or, or what about if you've ever planted a garden, and you've had corn, and this corn, all of a sudden, one day, just jumped off the stalk and piled up on your front step? It doesn't really work that way, does it? You see, we have to go out and harvest. And as I was thinking about this, one of the, one of the movies that I grew up watching, you go over to my aunt's house, and she had this movie. It wasn't a mainstream movie. It was on VHS, you know. You had to please be kind and rewind type of thing. And um, we'd watch it. It was called American Harvester. Or American Harvest, and kind of the movie was this, this idea of a, a guy that owned a, a custom-cutting harvesting crew. And as he got older, he sold it to his sister's uh, husband, and so to his brother-in-law. And part of the agreement was that this brother-in-law would always come back and harvest his crop first before they started doing all the crops from Texas all the way up to Canada. Well, one year, 
there was a lot of rain. And so as they waited, they started to get agitated. And, and the, the, the brother-in-law, he knew he needed to move on because he would get behind on all of his clients' uh, crops. And so finally he said to the brother-in-law, I can't stay any longer. He said, we got to go. And so they're trying to keep him there, and so he tears, off, tears down the road in his pickup, and he pulls in, in, the, in the way of the gate to block the gate, and, it, and there's a dramatic scene in the movie, but it's kind of cool. You have these big, huge John Deere combines just crashing through the gate to get out of there because they got to get down the road, and he kind of stands there just upset. And the very next day, it was dry enough, where that harvesting crew could have come in and, and taken care of the whole harvest for him. But instead, then the very next day, a storm rolls in. A storm that brings hail, and, and the whole harvest, the, the crop in the field, was destroyed. And I think about us as Christians. How often are we leaving the crop in the field, expecting somebody else to take care of it? See, we're too wrapped up in ourselves and to be concerned about anyone else. And while churches all over America sit and do nothing, the potential harvest rots in the field. And so as I look at these verses, may we see the prayer of the harvest. Verse 37 again says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now notice what Jesus prays for here. He's praying for more workers. And it's interesting that it begins with prayer. And the reason is it begins with prayer is because it's not our work. It's God's work. What is impossible for us is possible with God. If there's going to be a, a great reaping of the harvest, it's going to be because of God. Not because of me or because of you, but because of what God is going to do in and through us. The harvest we want is impossible with us. The new birth is a miracle. It's based on God's power. And only He can heal the lame. And only He can raise the dead. And only He can heal sickness. And only he can cause dead ears to hear, and only he can cause dead tongues to speak. And it is his power that we must tap into if we're going to reap a harvest. And I remember as a high school student coming down to Fall Fling in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, for Summit Christian College's Fall Fling, they had a speaker named Tommy Oaks. And he spoke about this very passage about praying for more workers into the harvest field and challenged us to, to every time we pray, to pray that prayer. And in fact, even Amber Berlin, one of our missionaries, has challenged us to do the very same thing, to, to set your uh, alarms on your phones or your watches for 9.38 a.m. or 9.38 p.m. And every time that comes around, to pray for more workers to go into the harvest fields, that God would send more workers. And though, through prayer, that's where we're going to gain the compassion we need to see the harvest as they truly are. And it's through prayer that we will see that there's great potential in the harvest. And it's through prayer that we will ask for the Lord of the harvest to send more workers, more laborers. And how can we ask God to send forth someone else without first saying, 
send me. That's right. If we're praying that God would send more workers into the harvest, we ourselves need to go as well. Jesus says, pray because while you are on your knees, seeking a change in those you, that are lost, God will be changing you so that he can use you to change those that are lost to gather a great harvest. May we be challenged this morning to seek those who are lost. The very first thing of our mission statement, to, to seek those who are lost. May we see the harvest for what it truly is, plentiful and ripe for the picking. If you're here this morning and you're outside of Christ, you are part of that harvest that needs to come in, then in just a minute as the praise team comes, we're going to sing a, a song of invitation. It's a song that allows for you, if the Holy Spirit's tugging on your heart, to come, that we might meet with you, to pray with you, to study with you, to see what it means to, to surrender your life over to Jesus Christ. Because once again, there's a harvest out there that needs to be brought in. And if you're part of that harvest this morning, will you come as we sing? Will you stand with us this morning?